Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Metzmerized. Got another guest with us this week. Um, my buddy, Andrew Bataferrano from MILB.com. Uh, Andrew, how's it going, buddy? Great. Great to be on. And it's uh, nice to be talking to a fellow West Babylon graduate. Not too many of us, uh, you know, in the uh, sports media area. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, this is, I mean, you're much, much further ahead of that game than I am. But uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you graduated. Uh, I'm not going to give away too much, but <laughs> a little over a decade, uh, I guess, after me. And uh, I guess just through bouncing around on Twitter, we kind of put it together that, holy crap, we're there. We went, we're alumnus of the same high school. And, Very uh, funny. It is. It is. And I guess we were both inspired by the same teacher to uh, to foray into writing just at different points in uh, in his career. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, just kind of funny how that worked out. And we realized like, hey, wait, we had the same English teacher and we both like were inspired by him. So I think that's kind of cool. We have that connection. Yeah. Mr. Egbert. He was the best. Uh, but uh, on, on to on to the more pressing matters. Um, Andrew, of course, is a writer at MILB.com. Uh, covers the minor leagues pretty much in its entirety, correct? Yeah, we uh, at the site, we cover all the affiliated leagues. So all the way down to, you know, complex leagues, rookie ball, all the way to AAA. So, you know, people that are listening to this, they care about the Mets. We go all the way from PCL Mets all the way to Syracuse. You know, we don't really do a ton of the, you know, Dominican Summer League stuff. But if big stuff happens there, we're on that, too. Oh, sure. Of course. Now, um, you guys have to be, I guess, personally, you have to be enjoying the, and I guess I, I don't want to say that it's an increased level of talent, but mm-hmm. maybe it's just the, the added exposure and the, um, to say, I guess, more in detailed um, statistics or, or what have you. But boy, it seems like the minor leagues are pumping out more major league ready talent at, at, at a, they're just doing it at a, at a quicker pace or at a, at a more rapid or, how could I put it? <laughs> They're pumping out a lot of great players really quickly and mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. Um, you know, what kind of, what kind of preparation, I, I guess the, I want to get into the whole analytics thing later. Yeah. But, um, you see these guys and you know, you have your back to the Acunas and Albies from a couple of years ago. And then last year between Tatis, Guerrero, Alonzo, McNeil. I mean, you have these guys that are just busting out and they're showing Mm -hmm. up at the show and they're ready. Um, It has to be just a joy covering these guys and watching the talent bubble through. Yeah. uh, You know, whether it's the Mets or any other team, it is definitely kind of cool to talk to these guys that you know are going to be on the cusp of doing big things in their career. Uh, Alonzo was definitely one of those guys where he broke out in 2018 and you kind of knew he was on the verge of stardom and kind of the same with McNeil as well. Although he obviously had a much different path of uncertainty with injuries and, you know, he was a little bit older, kind of the, I guess you can kind of, I'm not going to say in the same class, but similar to DeGrom where they had that trajectory where injuries kind of slowed them down. They came up at a later age and kind of got off from the, you know, ground running really quickly. But yeah, and kind of to the point that you're bringing up that you see a lot of these guys that are coming through the minors, uh, you know, whether they're top 100 prospects, you know, Jeff McNeil, again, for example, wasn't even on, at least on MLB.com side in the top 30 until he was in the major leagues uh, for the first time. Uh, He was not a ranked prospect for a long time. And maybe he was before my time covering the minors. I don't want to, you know, slight the guys who do all those rankings because they do a lot of hard work at Pipeline. (laughs) But at least when I was covering it, I do not remember him being a ranked prospect until after he broke out in 2018. And a lot of that has to do with just, uh, um, 
just the way he, his career trajectory was. And I think a lot of what has to do with a lot of these guys kind of coming through the system is, uh, just the way that scouting has gotten better and the way we have technology to track these guys better. Uh, it's just a very different way of going about it. And now, do you, do you feel that minor leaguers are, I guess, privy to the same technologies, the same advanced metrics, um, as the parent clubs are? Like, does that, does that technology and, and I guess, analytically based aspect trickle down through the organization on like, of course it's an organization to organization basis, but um, like are minor leaguers kind of forced to fend for themselves as far as gaining the knowledge or is this pretty much across the board now? Are, are, are these, you know, are players being fed this information from the very early stages of the minors? That's a great question. Uh, It definitely depends organization to organization. And I know the Mets have had a lot of changeover. Uh, you know, since Brody took over, you know, going into 2019. So I don't know the specifics of how they've been going about doing their things in the minor leagues, but I did a feature on the Reds, uh, I think it was in January this year, and they hired Kyle Bodie from Driveline. I'm sure yeah. people listening to this, I'm sure you know who he is. Like he's a big name in analytics and pitching and just training methods. And I think that just speaks to not only the Reds, but just kind of how baseball is changing in terms of hey, we want these guys to be a little bit more analytically inclined and have these training abilities from the get-go, ground up. We don't want these guys kind of fending from themselves. And I talked to Nick Lodolo, who is in the red system. He's their top lefty pitching prospect. And I asked him, like, how familiar were you with these kind of, you know, analytical training tools before coming to the Reds and, like, now? And he's like, well, in college, we actually had like the Rapsodo, Edgertronic, the kind of technology. And I don't like, so, you know, if you're kind of lucky enough to go that D1 route, I think a lot of these guys even get that exposure before they even touch a professional mound or a professional field if they're, you know, a position player. So it's really interesting to see the change in baseball, even within, I would say, the last five years where who was talking about launch angle and exit velocity and spin rate. I mean, I remember going into 2017 when I started this job, like the big thing with Seth Lugo had this tremendous curveball that everyone knew he had this great spin rate on. We're like, we don't know exactly what spin rate does and like what it means. And now even since 2017, I think we have a better understanding of that. Oh, sure. You got your Magnus effects and all that stuff now and your, your, your spin trajectory and spin efficiencies. And, oh, it's just, um, it's a playground for the stat nerd. And, and, you know, personally, I love it. Just, it's the whole idea of grasping the concept and giving it to players at a, a digestible kind of medium. And I think that's where the Mets kind of, um, I guess had their decision made for them as far as hiring Jeremy Hefner as the pitching mm-hmm. coach yep. and uh, Jeremy Ocardo the year before to kind of um, usher that era in. And, you know, you see, you start to see more and more teams kind of taking advantage of the technology that's there. I know the Yankees hired Eric Cressy, who's, who's very much into that. And yep. uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's certainly intriguing to see the the leaps and bounds that these young players can make. I mean, even this year's rookie class, you have guys like you know, Bichette and Alvarez, they, they had made their debut as, as well as Aquino, but you have guys in the White Sox system like Luis Robert, you have Nick mm-hmm. Madrigal coming up. These guys are going to be monsters, and you have to assume that, boy, like it, the more information available um, – and given to them in the in the right way, just through a, a more streamlined kind of conduit, um, 
the 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 possibilities of the potential or the ceilings you have to be just you know through the roof yeah i mean just think about it like you can go on mlb's top prospect page and they have a uh, or it's even just mlb's like Statcast page baseball savant yeah. and you can go on it you can search the top prospects and you can look at their minor league spray chart year to year or their uh you know full spray chart for their whole minor league career and can you imagine doing that five six years ago it's just crazy the uh technology we have even at the lowest levels of the minor leagues to be able to track these guys or you know uh you know a lot of the amateur scouts that are looking at these guys in high school or the scouts that are looking at college players so much work goes into it behind the scenes that I don't think it's enough credit and it's a kind of a combination of all of this technology and you have guys utilizing it in the proper ways. And I think that's why we're seeing so much tremendous young talent come up all at once, whether it's the Mets or, you know, elsewhere across the league, like you mentioned, Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal, both, you know, kind of on the cusp of making it big for the White Sox. Oh, sure. And then just with the, I guess the ongoing, I was going to say the ongoing kind of influx of talent every year with all the rounds of the draft, but (laughs) this year that's not going to be the case. And it seems like moving forward, you know, that's hazy as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Any thoughts on the, of course the, you know, the COVID-19 health crisis has kind of put everything in flux, but um, any idea on the after effects of of a shortened, potentially a five round draft this season? Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't know the specifics of everything yet. I'm sure the league will come out with that soon enough so everyone's kind of prepared on how to, you know, go about this draft. But we're obviously in kind of unprecedented times in everything. I mean, we're not right now we would be, you know, a month and a half into the season and we haven't seen a game yet other than, you know, in Korea, which is cool. I've been watching those games. But yeah, I mean, the uh, effects, if it's a 10 round or a five round, that's it's just it's kind of crazy to think about all of those guys that have gotten drafted past those rounds in previous years that have gone on to do bigger things. And, you know, you talk about the Mets and obviously he wasn't drafted by the Mets, but Mike Piazza is the clear cut example of a guy that, you know, wasn't a top round pick drafted as a favor to Tommy Lasorda. Uh, You know, uh, Mike Piazza's dad being friends with Tommy Lasorda and he gets drafted super late in the draft and becomes the hall of fame player. We all know and have, you know, watched if you were, you know, you know, old enough now to watch him play. But the point is, you're going to see a lot of these guys maybe this year, and I don't know if this is just going to be a this year thing or if it's going to be afterwards. Who knows? Because, like, this is just a crazy time for us all. Uh, it's just it's going to be interesting to see a lot of those guys that would have gotten drafted past the fifth or the tenth round, depending on how it's structured, and see if they're going to get signed as, you know, you know, undrafted free agents, that type of thing. I don't know how it's going to work. It's there. There's going to be a lot of far-reaching effects and there are guys that obviously have talent that get drafted later in the rounds i mean jeff mcneil wasn't like i keep bringing him up but again he wasn't a first round pick so you have guys that could you know sneak through the cracks and it's going to just be uh interesting to see how those guys eventually get a fair shot yeah i think mcneil was like in the 12th round so he he would you know be on the outside looking in if that if that were to be the case but i mean clearly the landscape is changing um i think it's up to you know, minor league baseball to, to adapt and, um, you know, just try to turn this into a positive. Now, um, I know all-star games across the minors keep on kind of falling off the board. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. You know, major league baseball has kind of made a, 
a very you know strong point that hey we're gonna dev- we're gonna do all we can to get a twenty twenty season in. Um, are you hearing the same thing from minor league baseball? Uh, we haven't heard a ton, and I mean it's just it's obviously it's a little bit different in the minors because you have a lot of different states, a lot of different leagues involved, a lot of different teams, a lot of different players. Oh, yeah. It's different than the majors because you know you only have thirty teams and you can kind of structure it a different way. So it, it's hard to say. It's really just. You know, hoping for the best and hoping things kind of clear out. So, you know, we're all just kind of hoping for the best that we have a, a season in a, a safe manner. And that's, I guess that's, that's really all we can hope for in, in any sense, whether that's major league, minor league. Uh, you know, like I said, watching these Korean games has been really fun and we're kind of seeing some familiar faces. If you've been watching any of those dinos games, Aaron Altair is playing. <laughs> so that's kind of yeah. fun. I know Chris Flex and Andrew Gagno are there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I haven't heard much about, uh, you know, delaying a season or not having a season, nothing, any sort of things in that nature. But, you know, we're all hoping we can, you know, get a season started because I, I think we all miss baseball and we would just love to see it back in some sort of fashion in a safe way. Yeah, I mean, the logistics of bringing the Major League game back is, uh, it seems like a, a tall enough hurdle to begin with. Just like you mentioned, the um, the logistics of travel, uh there's mm-hmm. just so, so, so many variables to, to take into account. It's kind of just, you know, roll with the punches and, and, and do what we can. And I guess, yeah, we're all hoping for some sort of baseball. Um, and, you know, you have – I'm just going to look focus on the Mets for a second. You have sure. – you know, th- this isn't the highest ranked prospect uh, group or, or farm system in the majors by any means. Um, but there are certainly some gems in there. And this was this would have been a big year development wise for guys like Ronnie Maurizio and and Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty and and the young pitchers Matthew Allen Josh Wolf like you know last year's draft personally as a fan I was very very excited after last year's draft um, and even going back to the to the free agent signings uh, the international free agent guys uh, Alvarez m- most most specific there um, developmental I guess in a developmental process. How detrimental do you think a lost season could be for some players? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Mets kind of had this intriguing draft last year where they were able to sneak in Matthew Allen, which didn't seem possible for any team, and that they were able (laughs) to give him that slot money in that spot was, uh, you know, even for me a little bit surprising to see any team pull it off. And for the Mets to kind of have those first three rounds that they did, it was like, wow, like you got to give the – draft team some kudos for what they were able to do there and it would have been fun to kind of see Beatty and Allen really get their starts this year and I don't know where they would have been projected to start the year depending on how spring training would have went but if they would have gotten the shot in Columbia it would have been you know very cool to see them kind of get that start this year but yeah like you said it's uh, kind of interesting to see where they'll end up once play starts in terms of their development process because Mauricio I mean he got his first full season in last year and he's still a teenager and I think he held his own pretty well in the South Atlantic League uh but it, I think I mean a lot of these guys like I, I did a story they weren't involving Mets prospects but these guys built their own mound and were still training so I think these guys oh I uh, saw that I read that story that was oh, um, thank pa- you Padres guys right so Chris Betts and Jacob Nix so yeah there you Jacob go Nix from the Padres and Chris Betts <laughs> Jacob from the Nix. yeah J- Jacob Nix got into a bit of a a quandary last season that made a bunch of baseball fans laugh, but we're not going to get into that on the show. Uh, so, you, I mean, you have a lot of these guys like them, and 
that are still trying their best to train. And I, I mean, I don't know if we can say we know what the after effects are going to be in terms of what it's going to look like when game action is going to play. I don't think any of us know for certain. Uh, you would think that there, I mean, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of facilities are closed, you know, or most or all of them are closed. So yeah. you can't really get the reps on a real mound or, a, a, you know, at least like a fake mound or, you know, those reps in the batting cages like you normally would, even if like, you know, you had a rain out or something. So I think it's going to be interesting, not only for the Mets, but for so many different teams to kind of have unique training possibilities during this time where, you know, you hope guys are staying healthy, but also they've got to think about their careers and stay in shape. And like you said, the Mets aren't the most highly ranked uh, organization in terms of their prospect rankings right now, but they've got a, you know, a couple of good hidden gems in there. I think that would have benefited from having a full season, but uh, I don't think it's going to be super detrimental in the end because if you think about it, everybody's kind of in the same boat now. No one's going to be above or below, I don't think, in terms of the uh, the training. Everybody's going to kind of be at the same spot once uh, play begins, and hopefully that is this year. Yeah, you'd have to hope so. I mean, even the guys who were set to make their debuts this year, I know I mentioned Robert. I was very excited for, for Brendan McKay in Tampa yeah. Bay. Uh, two way, two way player who who uh, really just uh, jumped out at me. Nico Horner in Chicago. Yeah, I was very excited for. Now he made his debut last year, right? So McKay did as well. And oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, McKay made a couple of starts with the Rays. And what's interesting about him is he he did the two way thing in the minors, but he didn't hit a lot. And eventually, last year they decided like, hey, you're going to go full time DH when you're not pitching. You're not going to be playing the field. So I think they kind of realized going in that it's a little bit tough to kind of go both ways. And he didn't get a ton of at-bats at each level. So I don't know how well his – like you can really like say his numbers are going to compare if he ends up doing a full two-way thing like Otani was doing in, during his first season, uh, which just feels so unprecedented uh, the way he was able to do that. But McKay's definitely got some pop. Uh, I mean, Hunter Green, if you remember, came in as a two-way prospect. And he actually – his first season in 2017 – didn't even pitch until the very end of the year. He was a hitter the whole year and then went on the pitching track. And then his first full season in Dayton, uh, the Reds Class A affiliate, they kind of gave up the hitting thing. I mean, I would be super interested to see him. I don't know if he's going to, but I would love to see him kind of give the two-way thing a shot. He was a good hitter. So uh, I'm all for uh, bringing the two-way players in as much as possible. I think it makes the game more fun. Oh, for sure. And even just adds a wrinkle um, strategy-wise. Oh I guess, yeah. You know, if you know that you have an extra bat on the bench or <laughs> off the off the pitcher's bench, I should say, um, you know, great. You know, especially in the National League, well, until we get the universal DH, which seems yeah. inevitable. But um, yeah, it just you know, I love it. I, I'm I'm very excited to see him kind of kind of blossom. Um, I, mean, I don't but, I don't know how much you play uh, MLB the Show. I'm sure a lot of your listeners do. But uh, if you're playing Diamond Dynasty online and someone is pitching Shohei Otani, uh, they make the hitters bat in that game. All the pitchers have to bat in that game so you don't get a DH. And so when you're facing Otani, it's like, oh, wow, I don't get that easy out. And I can only imagine what that's like for the life of a major league manager, pitching coach, like deciding, like, oh, wow, like this is tough. Like even without a DH, we've got to face a guy that can handle the bat. Yeah. Now, um, do you have any – I guess I'm going to – this is coming out of left field. Do you have any picks for – I guess who who would have potentially been your picks for rookies mm-hmm. of the year coming into this year? 
That's a good question. Uh, I, I think Rob, Rob, Luis Robert is the easy answer for the American League. I really, really liked what he had to offer in the minors. And last year, I mean, last year was his first real year where I think you got the sense of the talent that he had because he had been, you know, I think he was in the Dominican Summer League during his first professional year. So you didn't obviously get to see him stateside. And his first year stateside, 2018, he was injured for most of the year. So you didn't really get to see really what he had to offer. He didn't even need a home run during his first you know, season during uh, 2018. And then last year, he obviously has a 30-30 year, goes from uh, Class A advance all the way to AAA Charlotte for them. And just, you know, one of the greater minor league seasons I've seen since covering, uh, you know, minor league baseball. And I was really excited to see him get to the majors. National League, it would be tough. I guess it would have depended on who would have made a club out of spring training. Uh, it's really hard to say for me. I didn't have any names that, like, really jumped out in my mind. I might just be blanking on someone that would have got, I mean, like, Mackenzie Gore, I don't think is completely ready to, you know, be in the major leagues right now. So, like, I mean, obviously he's in the National League and he's a, you know, top five draft pick. I mean, Gavin Lux, I think that's another easy sure. pick. And I think he would have been starting for the Dodgers. He had a nice run at the end of the year for them. So I think that's another easy pick. Um, I don't know if they would have had enough room in the out. And this is the back to the American League. This would have been tough because I just don't know how much room the Angels would have had in the outfield. But I really do like Joe Adele. Oh, yeah. In terms of his talent, uh, he's got the power. He's a great defender. His arm is good. Uh, I really think he could be one of those five-tool guys. And just I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, wow, just imagine him in right field and Mike Trout in center field. That might be one of the best outfields in baseball right there uh, if you put those two together. And uh, I think Joe Adele is definitely one of those special players. Uh, I think the, the American League would have had so many possibilities because you have Jesus Lazardo. That's who uh, I was thinking of. That. Yeah, you got those so many different they guys. Just, oh, they just keep turning them out. I, I, I'm really, I, I'm enamored with what they're doing in Oakland. The, the A's really do that. That top three that they have, you have Lozardo and Puck as these two really special left-handed pitchers, and Puck. They both had their injury problems the last couple of years, obviously, but they made their debuts last year, and this year it looked like they were going to have you know a full major league season under their belt. And then you bring in Sean Murphy, a catcher. So it's kind of interesting that your top three prospects are all kind of working together because Sean Murphy is trying to develop a rapport with them. Uh, I feel like you don't see that too often. That's kind of unique. Oh, it's, I think it's very cool. And I, and I kind of have to look at the Braves and be like, like you know, they just keep churning out these studs. Uh, it and, is uh, kind of unfair the number of pitching prospects that the Braves have <laughs> churned out in the last three. I mean, Soroka just flew through the system and – Obviously, I think, I mean, I know there was the, the one vote for Soroka for Rookie of the Year, and I mean, I think Alonso should have been unanimous, but the, I mean, I'm, that's not the debate. The point is, I think Soroka could have won it in a lot of different years where you didn't have Pete Alonso setting the rookie home run record. He was just a, he had a fantastic season, I think, deserves some credit, but that doesn't take away from, you know, what Alonso did last year. Oh, no, definitely not. And just the pipeline is so full. And I'm just I'm talking, I'm going back to Atlanta, but you got Kyle Wright coming. You have Ian yep. Anderson coming. You have Pache coming up in the outfield. And that, I mean, add him to that outfield. My goodness. Bryce Wilson. And then you have Drew Waters. Oh, yeah. Drew Waters had a fantastic year last year. He's a great hitter. He's got speed. He can play the outfield. Uh, he's more of a contact guy versus, you know, a three true outcome guy, I think. But maybe that makes him a little bit more unique in today's game where he's still kind of that a little bit more old school, you know, getting on base without striking out or, you know, kind of all or nothing type of thing, kind of like a 
Not exactly like Nick Madrigal, where he's a very, very contact guy, but Drew Waters was fantastic last year. So the Braves could potentially have an outfield at some point with Pache, Acuna, and Drew Waters. And for the NL East, that is a scary prospect. They have a lot of good talent in that system. Oh, and and even just going a few years out, um, look at Miami. I mean, and they, yeah. they do this. They do this every few years, and they just kind of retool and rebuild. And yep. but JJ Blade, uh, he's probably one of my favorite minor leaguers, current minor leaguers right now. He's a very exciting player. So if you look at the the Marlins top thirty on MLB.com today, you look at their twenty twenty top thirty versus what it was in twenty seventeen or even 2018, 2019, it is a very, very different list. Um, they were very short on talent uh, a couple of years ago in terms of minor league prospects. And I'll be honest with you, when Jeter came in and they made a lot of those moves to get rid of Yelich and Stanton and Ozuna and a lot of those, you know, higher price guys, I was a little skeptical. I'm like, what do they, do they have like a plan in place? And you look at that top five that they have right now and, they are like you. You can make the argument they're a top ten organization in terms of their prospects right now. Sixto Sanchez is a legitimate fireballer, and uh, I really think that was a good pickup for them in that JT Real Muto trade. Uh, he's a great mm-hmm. pitcher. They've the Phillies were doing it, and the Marlins were doing it as well. They were kind of limiting him in spring training and not uh, ramping him up until kind of like April and May, and that was the plan this year. If the you know we obviously didn't have the pandemic hit. But that was kind of a plan for him going in. Like you said, Blade, great outfielder. And then last year, I think the biggest surprise trade of the deadline, in my perspective, was the Marlins getting Jazz, Hizol- Jazz Chisholm. I did not expect that trade at all because you trade one of your better pitchers and then you get, uh, you know, one of the better shortstop prospects. It was kind of one of those trades where it's like, all right, we think we can develop your guy better than you are. So we're going to make this move. And they ended up getting Jazz Chisholm, who is kind of a unique talent at shortstop. He's got this power. Uh, I he's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, and he's got, I think he's got a nice personality. I've talked to him a couple times. Uh, he's a funny guy. He, uh, you know, kind of like down to earth, but also has like a nice, like, confident edge to him. Uh, I think fans, like if once he gets to the major leagues, whether you're a Marlins fan or just a general baseball fan, I think he's one of those personalities that people are going to connect with and really enjoy if he uh, kind of blossoms into the player. Uh, that he can be. And I mean, you look at their number five, Edward Cabrera, he could be their number one if they didn't have Sixto Sanchez. This guy throws gas. He's got a great fastball. Uh, just they, they really have revamped their system. And like I said, I was skeptical about what they were doing for some time, but that is a really great system that they have. And I think they've done a, a good job kind of bolstering their needs in whether it's their pitching side and they have a lot of good offensive talent. Uh, I, I'm kind of excited to see where they go in terms of, uh, you know, their development in the next couple of years, whether it's, uh, you know, they're still in the minors or getting to Miami. Yeah, I, I, I could certainly foresee um, kind of speeding some of these guys along in the process. I know we saw Jazz Chisholm in spring training this year, and mm-hmm. boy, he is, um, he does it all. He's got pop, he's got speed, uh, he's a terrific fielder. Um, he, he, you know what, he reminded me, I've only seen a little bit of him, but he reminded me of Keston. Yeah, um, I, I would say he has more power than Keston does. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, that's I, I think, scary. I think, I think he's got, uh, at least from you know my viewing, last year, I mean, if you look at his just straight at uh, at Jazz's numbers, he uh, he didn't have the best year in the world, I'll be honest with you. He did strike out a lot. 
It was a lot of, you know, all or nothing, but he still hit 21 home runs, and this is going between two different organizations, slugging percentage near 500. Keston, I felt like, you know, covering him, you know, in the, you know, when he was coming up to the Brewers system, you know, more of a line drive, gap-to-gap guy. That's not to say he didn't have power, because obviously he does, and, you know, he mm-hmm. showed that, I think, in his, you know, brief-ish tenure, a tenure with the uh, Brewers last year, but... Yeah, I really think Jazz has a really, really good power tool that um, is one of the best at the shortstop position in terms of prospects right now. And, uh, you know, I think you'll you'll see that over the next couple of years. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And right now he's not in the, you know, top 10 prospect rankings for shortstop, but he's like he's probably at least for me he would be like number 11 he's like right there because the shortstop group is kind of unfair in terms of time I mean, you got Wander Franco number one so it's just kind of unfair uh you know you got him and Lux and Royce Lewis Bobby Wood Jr. and more uh Mauricio is there it's uh the shortstop prospect group right now is pretty loaded and I think over the next couple of years you will see these guys kind of come up and maybe it'll kind of be like that late 90s surge where you had A-Rod and Jeter and Nomar and Ray Ordonez and whoever else, uh, Edgar Renteria, I guess, you can lump him into that group. Uh, maybe you'll be seeing that uh, at the shortstop position over the next couple of years. Well, you even look at Carter Kaiboom. Yeah, they be, right, um, in the, right in the NL East with the Nationals. Oh, yeah, I mean, and <laughs> who's the better, I mean, who would you rather put your money behind right now? Would it be Kaiboom, who should be, he, I guess he was penciled in at third base heading into this year. So they're kind of shifting him all around. Yeah, they uh, but, they were working him more at the corner to kind of get him a spot because you know he's kind of blocked by Turner. Yeah, but um, you know you have you have someone like him who you know certainly has the the potential to be a a, a very impactful player in this game. And you know you look to the NL Central, you have Nolan Gorman who's. Almost, you know, I would say not ready to make his debut anytime soon. Yeah, he's he's a little off. Yeah, but we, I guess we we got a glimpse of him in spring training, and he's he's got a lot to offer. It seems like. Um, now, who would you put between him and and Brett Ooh. Beatty? Wow, that is t- uh, wow. I, I'm putting spot. That's, spot, no, that's a good question. That's a good question. I, I know. Like I put. Uh, well, yeah, kind of just this is just off the wall. I'm not oh, sure if you're familiar with the show, man. but we're very much improvised. Yeah, I like this. Uh, <laughs> That's tough because I haven't seen enough of Beatty to make a judgment, to be fair with you. Uh, yeah. You know, the, I, I wasn't going down to Kingsport, unfortunately. I'm mostly based out of New York, so didn't yeah. get to see Brett Beatty in person. You know, I got to see a little bit of him when he was with the, the Cyclones for, that, you know, last week of the regular season, then when they won their championship. But, you know, didn't get to see a ton of him in person. We've seen a lot of Norlin Gorman. Uh, you know, he's played full season ball. Uh, so I, uh, that is tough. I mean, I think Beatty could end up having the higher ceiling, but I haven't seen Beatty play a full season. And he, again, is one of those kind of unique cases where he was still in high school, but 19. And so I, I really want to get a, a good glimpse of him, you know, I guess going to Columbia or wherever he ends up uh, to start to kind of get a better sense of that. Because I think it's a little bit apples and oranges now because Gorman has that season. Like he started his first year, you know, he came up through – the Appalachian League, and then made the jump to the Midwest League and then played in the Midwest League last year. Uh, and Beatty hasn't had full-season experience yet, so it's tough. I would say Gorman has the edge right now just because I've seen more of him, and he has a really, really good power potential, but Beatty has a really good ceiling too. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, I'm certainly excited to see them both. Um, 
you know, just as a fan of the game. And last one, because some listeners might know, I am a Closet Padres fan, which I take heat for. <laughs> there's I, a love, little friction. I, I do love their system. Oh, there's some friction there. But it, I find it uncanny how they just keep on replacing graduating talent with more ready-to-graduate talent. I mean, we spoke about Gore. Mm-hmm. You have guys like Patino, who's... I don't want to say unheralded because, real, as the kids say, real ones know. Uh, Patino, <laughs> Patino is going to be just a stud. Um, C.J. Abrams, who was drafted last year, I believe. I believe so. I'm blanking and, on the actual yeah. date now because it just it feels. Yeah, I mean, I know he made his debut last year. I just can't remember if he actually was drafted last year. Yeah, they brought in Trammell from Cincinnati in the um, yeah in the Fran Mill trade. Uh, just boy, what a what an exciting. Um, just system, and you have to wonder whether, you know, envious eyes from around the league are looking over at AJ Preller, like, wow, look at this system they're putting together. Um, and they kind of have all their kind of boxes checked off as far as positional and spreading out the talent. Um, and you know, and again, this might be a byproduct of, I guess you could say, um, added exposure in the minors. And I guess you know, the, the real hardcore minors fans have always been around looking for prospects. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of come more into the mainstream now because just we have so much more access to it. Uh, boy, you have to. It, it almost becomes a badge of honor to have such a a talented, talented farm system. Right? It looks like it feels yeah. Like everybody kind of wants a piece of that, and. Um, you know, from solid cogs to, to star-studded guys, just – you almost see a – it's almost a, a rededication of, of efforts to – you know, everyone always wants a good farm system, but – Of course. You know, everybody wants that blue chipper, man. It just and, – and, and teams – And the teams, Padres have oh, sorry, like five ahead. to ten of those. <laughs> oh, they have, oh, my God. And they just keep on pumping them out. But, but, but I mean, you, you bring it up, A.J. Preller. Uh, let's just – Bring up Fernando Tatis Jr. for a second, who would have oh, yeah. been neck and neck with Alonzo for Rookie of the Year had he not gotten hurt. Um, um, neck and neck is, a, is probably, yeah. Basically, straight up, the Padres get him for James, James Shields a couple of years yep. ago. Like, that is maybe one of the steel trades of the decade. Oh, give it a, give it another decade, and I think it's going to be the the best one, one of the one of the most lopsided ones ever. But um, man, that, you're right. That system is uh, absolutely loaded, and you know, you brought up Trammell. Uh, I was talking to my brother the other day. He's a big baseball fan as is well. It, is it Tremel? I'm sorry. Is it, it Tremel? Not Trammel? I, I, as as far as far as I know, it's Tremel. That's what we've learned. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm taking your. I've heard it both, I've heard it both it, ways, uh, though. I've heard it both uh, ways. So now oh, maybe no, you're I'm making me your reconsider word. it. No, no, no. I'm taking your word for it. Uh, I believe it's Tremel. At least that's what I, that's what we've been told uh, in covering it. But yeah. we also thought it was Senzel coming through, and then it's Senzel. So. Uh, you know, we kind Dude, of, my mind things. is blown. My mind is blown. It's not Senzel. It's Senzel. I've, I've heard the Reds broadcast calling him Senzel right. when I've watched a couple of Reds games. So I don't, maybe they're wrong or maybe we were, I don't know. No. It's a, well, I know they do it. They, 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 you know, everyone hands out their forms in the beginning of the year and, and connect correct pronunciations are given out to the media. So well, yeah, I mean, it's not, not to trigger any Islanders fans who are listening, but I know it went from Tavares to Tavares. So who knows? Maybe you guys decide to sure did. put the, uh, put the emphasis on different part of their last name. Yeah. Oh, and then, you know, you have to, you know, you look at guys still call him Brandon, Brandon Nemo, Brandon Nemo. And you know, it, yeah. it happened. Yeah, uh, but yeah, going back to the the trade from last summer, where that you had that crazy three team trade before the deadline, where you know Framel Reyes goes to the Indians and 
Bauer goes to the Reds. But I, honestly, it was like, wow, the Padres get Taylor Trammell in this trade. Like, wow, like I think they made a like. I mean, he wasn't having a great year for the Reds, but it's like this guy has a lot of upside and could be a great outfit there. I kind of like what they're doing there. And really, for them, they lost Reyes and they have a glut of outfielders, and they lost Logan Allen. Who again? They have a glut of really young, good young pitchers. Obviously, with Paddock and you know the feud with the Mets, so it's just you know funny to bring that up. <laughs> but you have Mackenzie Gore, who is arguably the top pitching prospect in baseball right now. Oh yeah. Um, so you didn't really necessarily need Logan Allen if you're the Padres. So losing those two guys probably wasn't the worst thing in the world. And then you bring yeah. in Taylor Trammell. It's like wow, like not a bad you know move to get in, kind of swoop into that three-team trade like that. Yeah, and then and now this will lead us into my last question. The Mets have a sort of logjam, as you could say, at the mm-hmm. shortstop position between Mauricio and Jimenez and Rosario at the major league level. Could you see the Mets kind of picking and choosing? I guess <laughs> one would have to assume the early portion of this season would have been dedicated to kind of everyone kind of, you know, gauging their positions on everyone and and seeing who they're going to move forward with, I guess, into the future. But, you know, Jimenez dealt with some injuries last year, finished up the season incredibly strong, um, really uh, excelled in the fall league and then was hitting again in the spring. Mauricio pegged to be possible number one guy in, in, in all of baseball within a couple of years. And Rosario, who's just finally starting to to uh, to come into his own at the major league level. Do you see yeah. the Mets kind of making a decision soon or just kind of sitting on that talent? Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting kind of prospect. I see what I did there. Oh, I was kidding. <laughs> uh, um, just kind of interesting to see that they have a glut of these shortstops like that you talk about. And I think the biggest wrinkle in all this was the second half that Rosario had, because I think had he not played as well, both offensively and defensively, you're either thinking about making him a full-time center fielder, which I know that they were considering doing at some point, at least giving him a shot out there to see how he would look. Cause the Mets, obviously they don't have a traditional center fielder. I mean, Nimmo can obviously play center, but you know, he's not your ideal guy if you don't need him there. But I think Rosario having the good second half that he did makes this an even tougher decision. And Jimenez obviously not having the year that people expected, like you mentioned before, because of the injury and came on strong at the end and did very well in the AFL. Uh, and then you have Mauricio a little bit lower. I think they have time to, to really wait it out and see, is Rosario's second half really what he's all about? Is he going to live up to this? I mean, people forget, or I mean, I feel like it's not talked about a whole lot that, for a hot second, Ahmed Rosario was the number one prospect in baseball for yeah. you know a very brief period of time before he got called up to the Mets, and you know ha- obviously had his struggles offensively, hitting a lot of off-speed stuff, couldn't really you know reach that away, low and away slider, had a tough time with it, and wasn't kind of the defensive wizard that maybe some people expected, but kind of seemed to come into his own last year. Uh, I think they, I mean, obviously with Mauricio, they have time. He's only nineteen. He's still young. Jimenez, it's a little bit more interesting because he is that close to the major leagues and he was expected to be in Syracuse this year, getting that exposure at AAA. Um, and I think another part of this also depends on how the Mets infield shakes out. Will Robinson can stay healthy enough to play second base for the end of his contract or will he even stay through the end of his contract? Who knows? Uh, it depends how third base shakes out. Do you, will McNeil play there? Will J.D. Davis play there? 
So you could see a lot of different options in terms of that, where maybe they'll shift Jimenez to second or third base, depending if Rosario does, uh, you know, well enough to keep his spot at shortstop. I think you have a lot of different factors to consider, and I don't think there's any need to, uh, to rush them. Obviously at this point, we don't know what's going on with when games will be played or not, but when things are back to normal and games are being played, I think you just kind of have to sit and evaluate for a little bit, not make any sort of rash decisions. And I didn't get the vibe that, you know, things were going to happen that way. I think they kind of wanted to see where things would go in terms of the major league roster and how that would affect uh, where their prospects would end up in the field. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of has to be a wait and see type of situation and that's across the league. I mean, so much was riding on as it is every year. Um, you know, checking on developmental progress throughout the throughout the spring, throughout the early part of the season, taking that, digesting it, and, you know, handing out promotions to the guys who earned it. Um, you know, everyone's on the same on the same point at the same point right now as far as kind of being stuck in the mud or, or dead in the water. But, you know, it just uh, the ripple effects are going to be absolutely wild. And I'm, we're just going to keep on uh, seeing the effects of this and. Goodness knows how long that's going to uh, go on for. But, you know, hopefully every, everything comes out, you know, so at least there's a positive coming out of this, you would hope. Yeah. I mean, all we can hope for it is to, you know, we all come out kind of safe on the other side of this, better for it, and maybe, uh, you know, just even more excited for when baseball comes back. I know when opening day, whenever that may be, starts, like I'm going to be glued to the TV all day, just watching and tweeting all day, just so excited. Uh, you know, whether, you know, that's in the majors, minor leagues, I don't care. Like I was watching the KBO 1am when they put it on and there was a rain delay, of course. But, uh, (laughs) even then, like, I mean, I stay up late because I work a lot of nights for our job. And so like, it wasn't weird to me, but at the same time, it's like, wow, like I am really excited. And like, I cannot imagine what it's going to feel like when, you know, we have a, you know, major league baseball, minor league baseball come back. It's just going to be really fun. And it'll be like, like we were just talking about, there's so many great young prospects coming through. It'll be fun to finally get to see them back on the field and, you know, back at the, you know, in the developmental process. Cause uh, if you follow the minor leagues, it's just, uh, it's so fun to kind of see these guys come through and to, you know, go through the process of, you know, starting, you know, sometimes short season and then going all the way up to triple A and then to the majors and to kind of see the transformation. It's just really fun. And we're missing that right now. And it kind of stinks. It, it really does. And, uh, it's we just want to return to normalcy. That's all we want. But uh, Andrew, I think we've covered all our bases for today. Uh, thank you so much for coming on again, man. This is a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, uh, you know, asking me to come on. And I, I always love talking about prospects in minor league baseball. So this was uh, this was a true blast. And to do it with someone that went to the same high school as me, uh, even better. Yeah. Awesome, man. Oh, well, I hope we hope to have you back. And where could everybody find you on Twitter and social media and stuff? Yeah. Uh, I'm Andrew at bat on Twitter. So just, you know, A-N-D-R-E-W-A-T-B-A-T-T. Uh, or you could just search my name, Andrew Batafarano, uh, B-A-T-T-I-F-A-R-A-N-O. You can follow me there. And obviously the minor league baseball account, uh, if you want to follow us there, just at that M-I-L-B. Uh, you know, we tweet out stories, videos, you know, we're doing all we can to keep people entertained and happy during what are, you know, crazy times for us all. And we're trying to churn out as much content to, you know, keep people uh, still wanting baseball. And, you know, we're trying to do our part to keep everybody's mind off of what's going on out there. 
<laughs> and you're doing you're doing your best, man. And we appreciate every every word of it. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Anytime, man. And please, uh, we certainly hope to have you back. Hopefully, we'll be talking about uh, a season next time. But uh, yes, well, you know, between Syracuse and and Binghamton, and you know, the whole the whole gamut, we'll have uh, plenty of material. And uh, I hope you and yours stay safe through all this, Andrew. And um, we'll talk to you next time, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd love to come back at some point. Awesome. Awesome. All right, everybody. You know where to find us anywhere that you have listen to your podcasts. Uh, just look for Simply Amazing. Subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Yeah!